All right. Thank you so much, Adam. And hey, Eric. Hey, Jennifer. Thank you so much for being here. We have a few more folks who are going to be coming on the stage, and we're really excited to have this conversation. Again, my name is Jason Pfeiffer. I'm the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. And what excites me most about the conversation we're going to be having in this hour is that this is the kind of subject that I don't think we talk about nearly enough. You know, on Clubhouse, there are so many rooms about marketing and advertising and all that stuff is really important. But boy, when you're talking about growing a business and really scaling it out, you better understand international trade. And we have the absolute experts on that with us today. You know, what we're going to be doing here today in this hour is we're talking about growing your small business with international trade. We're going to be focusing on international trends, advice for small businesses looking to export, and we will be taking your questions as well so you can engage with our panel of experts. And we're doing it with, like I said, the folks who know this space best, the exporting and importing space, and that is folks from the Export-Import Bank of the United States. We're also going to be joined by some special guests who can speak to their own entrepreneurial experience in exporting and importing. And what you might be wondering, is the Export-Import Bank of the United States? I will read the brief description from their website, and then I'm going to turn it over to someone who can actually explain it far better than I can. The Export-Import Bank of the United States is the official export credit agency of the United States. So XM, that's how it's pronounced, E-X-I-M, XM, is an independent executive branch agency with a mission of supporting American jobs by facilitating the export of U.S. goods and services. So I want to start getting into this conversation. We have got uh, some amazing experts here, and uh, we have a lot to cover. So let's start with this. I want to turn it over to Jennifer Krause, who's manage, uh, a managing director at XM. Uh, we also have a export finance manager uh, in Eric Stevens up here, and as well, uh, Keith Jackson, VP of, of uh, Channel Sales at iTech Digital Systems, who's going to be speaking later to uh, the experience from an entrepreneur of uh, importing and exporting. But Jennifer, let me turn it to you first so that you can give us an overview of the uh, Export-Import Bank and what entrepreneurs should be thinking about as they address this very big, complicated subject. Absolutely. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Adam, for uh, setting this up and involving us. Um, the, the Export-Import Bank is, is actually a really small government agency by the standard of, of government agencies. We're about 500 employees, uh, so we're lean and mean. And um, a lot of us are, are former um, folks who have worked in the private sector and maybe even owned our own companies that were exporting or work for companies that export or come from the banking sector and working with exporters in that space. Um, so a lot of us understand that what uh, companies have to go through to, to get their products and their services overseas. Um, so we feel like we bring, you know, a uniqueness to the uh, space in that regard. Um, the Export-Import Bank, believe it or not, is actually a private corporation that's owned by the government, uh, which makes us de facto government employees. <laughs> so uh, we are... Um, kind of spaced out into different departments. Some of us specialize in the aerospace industry and work on aircraft exports, and everybody knows uh, we're affectionately referred to as the Bank of Boeing. So uh, we do a lot of work with Boeing aircrafts that go overseas. But in fact, 90% uh, of the transactions that we do are for U.S. small businesses. And a, a U.S. small business is, is a company that's 500 or less employees as a manufacturer or typically 
just 100 or less employees as a distributor. Um, so, in fact, we're working with companies um, that aren't the Boeings of the U.S. Um, and on a day-to-day basis, we're, um, you know, talking to these companies about what government programs they can access through us and other uh, federal partners and state partners that we have and, and increasing their exports or getting them into exporting because they've dominated, you know, what they feel like the U.S. market is and kind of maybe maxed out that space, want to see what other countries have to offer. Um, and we have seen quite a success with companies who diversify and, and are shipping to not just U.S. customers, but overseas. Um, if you think about um, you know, there are dips in um, demand in certain markets. It's it's really a smart move to uh, diversify and not just be selling into the U.S. market. Um, so we're, we're uh, helping counsel companies on um, that success that other companies have had. Jennifer, thanks for that background. It's really valuable. Let me ask you to offer some color and specifics to the small business side of this, because I imagine there are a lot of founders and people who work at small businesses in America who might think, you know, I would love to expand beyond America, but I don't even know where to begin. And I don't know that I am set up for it. So when you start talking to small businesses, and maybe it would be helpful to give an example or two, what are you looking for? And and where do you see them in their own journey where it's time for them to start thinking about and approaching exporting? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good point. We we've seen companies where they um, were working at a large company. I, I can think of some some um, ladies in South Florida who were working at 3M, and they they left to start their own company. You know, they had worked there many years o- over a decade and said, "Hey, I think we can do this ourselves." Um, and also, 3M, I believe at the time was maybe moving out of doing business in certain countries, um, and and these ladies were were some of them were from those countries, so they. They felt the the comfort in that, and and there are many people who come to the U.S. um, to live and work here, but they're from somewhere else, so so they know they have the expertise of potentially going back to their own country, but then they diversify again from there to sell into neighboring countries. Um, So... We, we, from a novice exporter to one that becomes an experienced exporter after a couple of years, there are varying state and federal assistance programs. Um, one that I would definitely mention for companies that are getting going in the export space is the small business development centers that are around the country. The SBDC um, help companies learn what they need to know to become export ready. And that can be from a financial side or even a paperwork side of getting their product out of the country, you know, filing certain paperwork. A great resource. Um, that's America's SBDC.org. America's is plural. Um, after working with the SBDC for a little while, a company may start to work. Uh, then with the U.S. Department of Commerce, it's an international division of the of the Commerce Department, um, and this agency has offices in every state, um, sometimes even multiple offices in, in the major cities within each state, um, as well as even more offices that sit in the embassies over overseas in over eighty countries. Uh, I believe I think it is at the moment. Um, their job is to help introduce U.S. companies to foreign purchasers around the globe of that specific product or service. So they're matching making service um, is is just unparalleled. Um, the gold key service, they call it. Um, it's a vetting process of the foreign potential customer. 
um, as well as they provide a lesson on local customs of doing business in that country because it's not always the same as, as how we do business here. Um, so they help folks understand that. Um, they'll even help with uh, translation services for the meetings that, that first occur um, during those introductions. Um, they assist with the in-country visits. If U.S. companies would like to go visit those potential customers in person, we've seen a great success with companies getting to know their customers in person. Um, this is only one of the services they provide. Um, their website's at export.gov. Uh, thanks. Those are that's a lot of really valuable resources, and it just makes me think about how complicated this subject is. When you when you, when you guys um, start working with small businesses, how how often do you find that they are actually ready? <laughs> and I don't even know how to define ready, but I'll I'll leave you to define it um, for for exporting. I mean, you know, just just thinking about, for example, you mentioned a little while ago the amount of paperwork that's involved. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and you've got to be start to be thinking about, um, you know, country to country specifics. This, it sounds like, well, boy, wouldn't it be great to grow my business by exporting? But then you start to get into it and you think, whoo, we got a lot to work on here. H how prepared uh, do you find that small businesses generally are? And maybe what are some of the first steps that they may want to take to mm -hmm. get themselves to ramp up to this opportunity? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, some folks do want to uh, jump into new, or they somebody contact them through their website a lot of times, and they they like, hey, we want to capitalize on this order. Um, luckily, a lot of times it's Canada or something a little bit easier uh, to get going on. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Some folks um, need to make sure they're they. It, there's a section on some websites that are you export ready. I, whenever I see that, I think that's great because it kind of walks companies through. At the I believe uh, the export.gov website does that. There's also export universities. Is what they're referred to as Export 101 classes, and um, we speak at a lot of those and uh, helping companies understand uh, what steps are coming uh, towards them. Uh, but upon striking up and negotiating a sale, uh, you know, a contract, a relationship with a foreign customer, uh, it, and if the company is established here in the U.S. and um, they're in, again entering into the foreign markets, um, the, you know that, that company's already been in business. We know that they 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 have a proven track record with their products as far as the agency that, that I work at and Eric works at. Um, so us at, here at the Export Import Bank, I know we um, want to make sure that all that hard work that went into um, you know that sale, that negotiation is something that they can capitalize on. They don't lose uh, getting paid on the on the product. And um, so, really, if they have established themselves in the U.S. market, they have a potential sale overseas, and we can see that they've done the due diligence of of getting um, you know the proper steps in place to make that export happen. With a freight forwarder, can really help with a lot of the documentation. I, I suggest having a strong freight forwarder um, interviewing maybe a couple of folks about that because that again that paperwork that gets filed is important. Um, but if we can see that those things are in place, this isn't a startup business. Um, then we're we're usually willing to. Um, bring them into an entrance level product that we have called Express Insurance. And, and that's our main product here at XM that, we're off, that we help U.S. companies with is, is a product that protects their invoices overseas. So they're going to go ahead and in a lot of cases ship product overseas without having gotten paid first. Um, and that's, that's nerve-wracking and that'll keep you up at night. Um, this insurance is offered by a dozen plus private carriers as well as the government program through XM. Um, and if a company is ever bidding in competition overseas, they'll see that, that other, you know, say German suppliers or Chinese suppliers are very strong in the terms they offer. 
soccer, and that's because there are over 116 other countries that have the same government program that we're offering, um, and it's typically 90, 95% protection of the invoice uh, for, for a cost that's less than 1% of the invoice, so, you know, paying $163 to protect a $25,000 invoice overseas is far cheaper than flying to visit that customer or hiring an attorney, uh, no offense to our attorney friends, um, offering... Um, they don't come cheap. No, no, no. <laughs> XM offers this protection in over 180 countries. So, so to me, it's a no-brainer. If you're going to go through all the trouble of getting ready uh, to export, um, you know, it's worthwhile having a conversation with XM and seeing if you're a candidate to be offered the invoice protection so that you know you have that backstop. Uh, thanks, Jennifer. So you have laid out a million different directions in which this conversation could go, but I'm going to take a more thematic turn for a moment, which is that something that we've been talking about here is accessibility of, of uh, exporting and making sure that that the, the broadest number uh, possible of people have access to it. And so that feels like a good opportunity to bring Eric into this conversation. So Eric, you are an export finance manager at XM and I know also work on a program to make exporting more accessible to minority and women-owned businesses. So Eric, I'd love for you to speak a little more about that program and where you see those opportunities. Thank you. Uh, thank, thank you, Jason. Thanks, Adam. And, uh, great, great setup, Jennifer. I appreciate it. Uh, great co-worker. Uh, once again, as Jennifer has talked about, it's, it's, it's basically making sure the information is accessible. And as you spoke with Ben just a minute ago, having the equity of access, uh, the minority and women-owned division of Exxon Bank has been around since 1997. We were actually written to the charter of the bank that we actually will be there to help uh, minority, women-owned, veteran-owned, uh, disability-owned companies, making sure they get the information they need to be successful from startup as we talked about it from entrepreneurial stage, uh, what we can do is if you're not ready, then let's get you in top contact with the people from a state perspective that can get you ready. Uh, one of the things that you're going to be looking at when you start to export is an export, cre is an export, credit, is an export credit plan or an export plan, so to speak. Um, I also work with the Regional Export Promotion Program with Exim Bank. That's a 30-year program which basically works with the state and local agencies to make sure we're in tune with what's going on with that particular community. Uh, each, each of our states are different in terms of the way they uh, actually approach exporting. Each state has maybe a different level of assistance for, for the entrepreneurs or even new exporters. Uh, some, some states do a fantastic job of laying everything they can out to make sure they can't help. And one of the biggest underutilized resources, uh, as Jennifer talked about with SBA, is the STEP program. Uh, it's a program which basically helps each particular individual within that program get ready to export, helps them actually have an opportunity to, to do things such as rebuild your website so it's more user-friendly from uh, from outside the borders of the United States. Now, our goal from a MWB standpoint, minority and women-owned business, we kind of refer to ourselves in that particular, particular moniker, is to do uh, not only webinars but also informational sessions where we sit down and really guide the actual individuals how they can export. Uh, one figure I was reading about the other day, which kind of blew me away, during that COVID-19 crisis, almost 7 million Americans started new businesses. Now, that's an incredible number when you think everything we were going through that particular time. But being able to actually grow your business through exports is a great way to make sure when things are happening, such as 
has for the last 18 months, you're somewhat diversified and you're not having all your eggs in one basket. Uh, thanks, Eric. Hey, are there specific challenges that it's worth addressing here that minority and women-owned businesses face with exporting? I, I'll think of the, the one I can think of off the top of my head is that, of mm. course, um, you know, the one of the major problems for minority and women-owned businesses is that they tend to have less access to capital. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it, you know, it, it, there's just there, there are less investment dollars available for them, which is a terrible thing that the entire business community needs to be grappling with and, and mm-hmm. is starting to. But that is something that I imagine translates into challenges with exporting. Is that right? I, I, absolutely, I think all businesses across the board, especially minority and women-owned businesses, underserved businesses, shall I say, uh, do suffer from that. But one of the ways we can eliminate that or help mitigate that particular uh, obstacle or challenge is utilizing export credit insurance. Uh, One of the benefits of export credit insurance is also being able to borrow against those funds. Uh, Being secured by an actual government institution such as XM, it gives you that ability to the bankers more apt to loan funds based upon your uh, ability to actually export using export credit insurance. Now, there's also funds, uh, there's crowdfunding, there's factoring. There's a number of different ways you can actually you know, obtain those funds. I'm not saying it's easy. I'll be honest, it's not. But, you know, it's a worthwhile venture to be successful and grow. I want to remind everybody, thanks, Eric. I want to remind everybody that we're going to be taking your questions, should you have any. Um, uh, You know, I would love for lots of people in this room who are interested in growing their business with international trade to have access to the level of experience that Jennifer and Eric bring to the table here. So, if you uh, if you have a question, um, Adam, are is that are the hand raising is the hand raising function on right now, or can you turn it on? There mm-hmm. it is. So um, so so raise those hands. I got I'll bring folks up in a in a few minutes. Um, I just want to cover a couple other things, but then I would really love to turn this into a conversation because I imagine that once people bring up some specific questions, we can really dig in. Uh, before we do, though. Um, uh, Eric, um, I'll put you. Uh, I'll, I'll, let's return to that important subject. But I want to bring on Keith because he is coming to this from a different perspective. Which is that Keith, you are the. Uh, sorry, I'm I'm scanning my notes here. You are the VP of Channel Sales at High Tech Digital Systems, and um, and so you. Oh, and also we have Cat. Uh, Kat Cole, who just came into the room, um, Kat, a friend of the brand, uh, advisor, investor, and ex-COO uh, and president of Focus Brands. So uh, actually, Keith, I'm sorry, I was teeing you up, but actually, I, I'd like to um, go to Kat first because I know that she has limited time. Um, so Kat, what you were walking into here is that we just covered a lot of the challenges and opportunities, structurally speaking, that the Export-Import Bank of the United States helps entrepreneurs with uh, and, and that they are often focusing on small businesses and have a particular focus on trying to help uh, minority and women-owned businesses um, gain more access to the export market. You uh, were, as I just said, the CEO and president of Focus Brands, which is a uh, an owner of, though that is not a, um, a name many people may know, they certainly know all the brands that uh, that fit in there, including Carvel Ice Cream, Cinnabon, and so on. And so I imagine that you saw, you know, a, a pretty complex operation there where uh, exporting and importing played a role. And 
I would love for you to just bring in a little perspective of, of maybe the challenges that you saw in that space and the kinds of things that you think small business owners might want to be aware of as they start to think about growing their business with international trade. Yeah, um, you know, our business was in, when I left and I just left in January, I was there for 10 years building the business around the world. We were in 70 countries, every major global market, um, to varying degrees of, of maturation and saturation. Outside of North America, it was predominantly the Gulf, you know, the Middle East, as well as Pacific Asia, and then South and Central America. Those were the big, big areas of the world outside of North America that we were in and then sprinkled throughout the rest of the world. And, you know, there are two really big considerations for international trade and international expansion. One is you know, importing and exporting the brand, like the concept itself and how does it translate and what are those implications on everything from labor, which might be affected by laws or local competitive set, uh, as well as COGS, you know, cost of goods, it can be very different dynamics, extremely low or extremely high in different markets, certainly import export, um, regulatory elements in my business, which was food, you know, when you start talking about things like dairy, um, you'd better be prepared to not only work with local governments and the international trade groups to understand what the latest laws and rules are, but then also leverage those groups to find the right relationships for what is often a requirement for local sourcing. And, uh, and, and then you've got to figure out, again, in our case, it's food, but it could be any physical product, how does that affect your current recipes, your current formulation, your current manufacturing, uh, your current uh, on-site employment staffing models, because different ingredients or different requirements can mean, it can have different implications on the business. So the implications of what happens when you hop oceans um, or you do business with partners that then result in ocean crossing, air crossing, um, the implications are, are much deeper throughout the organization than many people appreciate. And so, you know, if you're a small business, the good fortune we had is we were a franchisor. So the people we are supporting were, in fact, teeny tiny business owners in most cases. You know, they own one to 10 units. They're doing five to 10 million a year in combined revenue. Now, that's different in, in international markets where they tend to be larger franchisees doing tens of millions or hundreds of millions in revenue. Uh, and even some cases, huge conglomerates where they're doing tens or hundreds of millions in EBITDA per year. So certainly the sophistication levels of the business owner varied. But using you know groups like this or other associations and institutions to be your partner and helping you anticipate what are, in most cases, predictable challenges, and then using their relationships to navigate those challenges and have a, a faster path to typically localized solutions or global creative solutions is a, you know, something small to mid-sized business owners don't typically know to do. They just get stuck and then sometimes they get taken advantage of or pay more than they should for goods and services and partners around the world because they don't know better. Uh, so finding partners, you know, like, um, like this group and others is a key to not throwing money away and to having a faster path to um, international expansion and success. 
Thanks, Kat. And I know you're tight on time, so I'll ask you one follow-up, and then, you know, I'd love if you can hang out, but I understand if you've got to run. Um, you talked a lot about partnerships there, and I imagine that people in the room who might be thinking about this might say, okay, got it, makes total sense, need great partnerships. Uh, now what? <laughs> how, how do you advise that entrepreneurs, small business owners, go about figuring out who the right partners are and and where they can begin to build those relationships. Uh, you know, especially if we're thinking about overseas expansion. Uh, you know, you're you're dealing with uh, just a whole a completely different set of people and structures than you might be familiar with. And the idea of finding the right partner and figuring out that they are the right partner may seem pretty daunting by itself. What was your experience? And do you have any advice on building great partnerships? Yeah, I mean, certainly it can be daunting. So like anything, you know, you look for others who have expertise in vetting or working with partners and organizations. So whether it's an international exchange, whether it's an association like a supply chain association, um, a, a franchise association, or you're looking for some groups that have some type of proof of legitimacy, validation, and even just background checking, right? Reference checking. Who's worked with these folks? What's been their experience? It should not be difficult to find that through some Googling or even asking those companies, you know, who's worked with you? Who can I talk to? You want to talk to at least at a minimum two people that have worked with these groups and ideally two people. And I typically talk to like, you know, five, seven, maybe even 10 if it's a high risk situation. Um, you're you're just looking for inputs that help de-risk what is still going to be a risky proposition. Um, so that's one is just the same diligence you would do on hiring an employee or bringing on an investor or a partner. You need to do on on global partners for in, import export operations. The next is um, you know making sure you are partnered with a good global legal firm who understands that industry and how it evolves around the world. So franchising, for example, has very different laws around the world. And you need to understand, even if your business is incorporated in a particular country uh, and is subject to the laws and rules of that country, once you start doing business with people in other markets, different rules apply. Uh, and so having a good you know, business partner, either in-house attorney if you're large enough, or external firm that can help you understand in business terms what the legal implications are of your the type of contracts you would be signing, how solid are they, what does it give them the right to go do with either the formulations that you're providing or um, the, the, what you teach them or the IP that they now have access to. So you just really want to understand that. You always think the best and um, hope for the best of any partnership, but it is incredibly important um, because you hear these stories of business owners with a lot of dreams having some tough things happen because they did not appreciate the complexities of the laws of the countries uh, or the businesses that are based in other markets around the world and the different laws around sort of receiving and sending goods or receiving and sending IP. That was a really valuable and specific uh, response. So I really appreciate you digging in there. Um, 
cat call again uh you know a friend of the brand i consider uh always wonderful having you in these rooms and i really suggest uh you know there's a reason why cat has uh, i'm just looking at it 1.5 million followers um you should uh, totally go and add yourself to that list because uh everything she says is just so instructive and uh so cat thanks again always great having you in the room and you know hang out if you can uh understand if you if you have to roll um uh, I want to now turn to Keith because, Keith, you um, also come from this perspective. Uh, you're coming from the business side of this and are experiencing the challenges, I'm sure, of uh, exporting. You're the, um, the VP of channel sales at iTech Digital Systems. So maybe you can pick up from uh, some of the things that Kat shared about the, the challenges here and um, understanding the very varied terrain that you must enter as you're trying to export. So maybe step back and explain a little bit more about iTech Digital Systems and um, take us into your experience. Yeah, thanks, Jason, for the opportunity to join this. Um, iTech, we make an, a medical device. It's called eye tracking technology that allows individuals who are paralyzed to control the computer with their eyes. And uh, we've been doing this for 25 years. Our founder actually invented it for his own personal use. And uh, a couple things that I would add on to what Kat said is for greater success internationally, um, own your backyard, I would say. Because as you go across seas, across borders, they're always looking at uh, share with us your successes uh, in the U.S. and why we should partner with you. It's not, you know, they basically flip it on uh, back to you as well. And uh, we did the STEP program uh, here in Arizona, which was very helpful uh, to identify, you know, where we should focus our energies. And we identified Japan, India, and China. And then we engaged with the U.S. commercial services team, which I highly recommend. Uh, very uh, good use of time and money. I mean, for a few hundred dollars, they can vet out uh, certain companies that fit your criteria for distributing our products. We're in about 35 countries now, and it's really helped expand our focus of areas that we're not in. For example, we went to a conference in Japan after identifying and uh, you know talking with different companies. Um, and then when we were there, there was great language translation support um, because U.S. Commercial Services has offices around the globe, and the component of language translation is just huge because we were finding in years past that just things were getting lost in translation with uh, existing distributors not performing. And when you're looking at, you know, for our product, which is a medical device, a lot of different um, regulations that we have to follow, it's super important that you find the right distributor that's going to be able to meaningfully distribute your product and support it. And uh, we, we actually vetted out several companies and we found the right one. Um, and they're, they're doing great for us. And we have a great partnership. Uh, we actually held off on uh, China for the time being. For There was uh, a lot of good words of wisdom from the U.S. commercial services team on um, you know making sure uh, we're not going in there too early because there's a lot of IP challenges that we needed to be aware of. So that was really helpful. Um, and, but yeah, that, that, those are some of my suggestions. Thanks. Okay. 
Sorry, I, I, heard, I heard boys thinking somebody had timed in. Um, thanks, Keith. Uh, I want to remind everybody who's uh, in the audience here, if you have a question for any of our experts, and we have many of them, um, related to uh, growing your business with international trade, please raise your hand, and uh, we'd love to bring you up and include you in the conversation. Again, I'll just do a quick reset here, which is to tell people that my name is Jason Pfeiffer. I'm the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, and we are having a conversation today about, as the title says, how to grow your business with international trade. And we're doing that with some experts from uh, XM, the, imp the Export-Import Bank of the United States. And we also have Keith who is, uh, is, is in the business of exporting and can speak to it from that side. And we want to be touching upon all the things that you need to know to grow your business. We're going to be focusing on international trends, advice for small businesses looking to export, and more. So if you have a question, please raise your hand. And actually, if you can, put your question briefly in your bio. That way, Adam, who is, uh, who is running this room, you see him up there, is, uh, it will be able to go through it and, um, and uh, see if it's a fit and bring you up. So I appreciate that. Keith, let me turn back to you for just a follow-up. That was a very interesting point that you made earlier about how we, when you reach out to potential partners in other markets, that yeah, you, you might think that they're all ready to serve, um, but in fact, a lot of them are going to start grilling you on your U.S. business, which is uh, which is interesting and perhaps something that people, if this is the first go round for them, may not be anticipating. And so, I'm curious what kinds of things they're asking, and maybe what pieces of advice you have for entrepreneurs about what they need to have at the ready. What kinds of things should they be preparing so that they can convince potential international partners that they are a good opportunity for them? Yeah, uh, what they're asking for are uh, white papers, uh, par current partners who are you know selling your product. Uh, we, we went, we actually moved from a B2B model to a B2C model in the U.S. and uh, recently. And uh, so just sharing, um, you know, examples and white papers, uh, putting them in touch, maybe doing a three-way call with existing uh, partnerships that we have with, you know, major medical partners of ours, uh, just to solidify um, that those are some of the things they're asking for. Because, again, they're... they're they're putting a lot of time and effort into reselling your product. And so they want to make sure it's the right fit for them as well. Uh, so, you know, the grass we always feel is greener on the other side, but we, we do need to own our own backyard uh, in order to attract the, the right type of distributors, you know, around the world. Jennifer or Eric, I'm curious what, you see as some of the most overlooked things that entrepreneurs may not be considering in this space. Um, you know, I'm just thinking about how how it's possible that a lot of uh, you know entrepreneurs or 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 you know folks at companies that are overseeing the exporting may not have thought to put together white papers the way that um, the way that Keith just described. What what are some things that you're seeing that maybe folks to start thinking about now to button themselves up for this experience. 
Yeah, I, I could comment on that and say that um, some of the seminars that I've sat through, like Export 101s and how to even increase your international um, presence, talk even as simple terms as like on your website, a lot of us put a U.S. area code and then our phone number. And if somebody international clicks that, they actually can't get through. So like adding a country code, it's like something as simple as that on your uh, website. Or a lot of us put, you know, Atlanta, Georgia, and like, you know, people in other countries don't know where that is, you know, adding the words United States, you know, so optimization of your website to me, because that's how a lot of people find, find you is definitely um, a good route to go. You can also um, work through the wording on your website to come up in, in favorable uh, order of a, of a, during a, like, you know, a Google search. So we call it search engine optimization, SEO. Um, so you might look at tips for, for optimal SEO, um, to make sure your website comes up, so if you're going to put the effort in, and then you've heard Eric and I heard Keith mention the STEP program, and you know government loves acronyms, so I'll tell you what that stands for. It's a State Trade Expansion Program, and what that is, if you go to sba.gov, the Small Business Administration's website, sba.gov, and you just put STEP in the search, you'll read more about this program. But uh, as Keith mentioned, it's it's a way for you know some uh, for you to um, receive grant money. It's an application process, but it's it's pretty painless um, through 48 states and U.S. territories that are falling in that program at the moment. SBA has given money to these state programs, and then the state a lot of times matches the money or also puts up a portion of the money um, to help companies expand internationally. So that could be um, translating your website into an additional language. So if there's a particular market that you really want to get into, uh, that could be a way for you to uh, receive some reimbursement because I know it's expensive to update a website, especially if you're going to add a whole other language and translate everything. Um, translating your your paperwork, your, your, your flyers, your handouts, your brochures into other languages could also fall in there. Each state has, you know, the areas that they focus on. Some are looking to get you into trade shows overseas so you can meet uh, buyers in person, potential buyers in person, because that goes a long way sitting down at a table with a potential customer. Um, and in fact, um, Eric and I received news this week, which is over the moon we're super excited we haven't even made our own announcement here yet we're putting that out together um is that the step program can now help reimburse for xm insurance premiums so protecting those invoices once you've done all this hard work the step program grant money you can even apply for reimbursement of your insurance premiums so there there's the step program i highly recommend folks check out at sba.gov Absolutely. That's great information, Jennifer. In fact, I just add one thing. One of the things from an entrepreneurial standpoint um, that I want to key on as well is making sure your financial documents are in order. Um, in terms of having done, you have, a, you have an account, you have somebody who really understands how to put your documents together. Now, within that, we all understand that, you know, when you are a business for yourself, you have the ability to basically write off a number of uh, different tax deductions. Now, a lot of times what ends up happening is your company doesn't seem as profitable as it really is because you're writing so much off and not taking out any actual salary or actual income. So it's important if you're really looking to go forward and making sure you have a strong financial uh, position when you're looking to actually, you know, look for uh, export credit insurance or even uh, working capital uh, through not only us or SBA or our bank, that you have a strong financial position on your, on your spreadsheet. Thanks. Great information. And also, I love that we're breaking a little news here uh, on this program here in Clubhouse. So thanks for sharing that early. We have brought a 
somebody from the audience up who had a question, uh, although it's not in your bio, so I don't know exactly what you're going to be asking. But Hamid, I wanted to bring you in. Um, you, uh, you, you are clearly living in an international world, and in that I'm seeing multiple languages in your bio. Uh, can you um, uh, ask your question of our panel of export import exports experts? If you're there, you have to unmute yourself if uh, that is the problem. It's a little button on the bottom right. If not, we can move along. All right. Well, thanks for joining us up on the stage. <laughs> that's, uh, that's what happens with Clubhouse. Um, well, let's let's turn in our final, um, uh, you know, kind of final phase here of this conversation. Um, you know, uh, Jennifer and Eric, you had both brought up uh, issues of financing, and that's been a part of our conversation throughout, but I would love to just turn to it more specifically because I'm sure that there are a lot of uh, financial concerns that go with exporting. Um, so people who are ex uh, considering exporting their product or service or entering a new market, they may be concerned with how to finance the production or how to get paid by customers. Uh, are there specific solutions that you recommend as they start to explore this? Yeah, we've talked a lot about this export credit insurance, which is protecting your invoicing. Um, but as Eric uh, mentioned, there's a working capital program through the Small Business Administration, SBA.gov, and, and Axem's um, own set of lenders, too, uh, which it, we see a lot of times, you know, an exporter is trying to fund their own export growth. And, and it's very normal for somebody to go to a bank. So nobody needs to feel bad about, hey, I, you know, I, I have to ask for some financial assistance. I, you know, I can't expand as fast as I want to and capitalize on all these orders that are potentially coming in without some help. And that's, it's extremely normal, all, companies of all sizes. So I highly recommend that you talk to your bank or go to sba.gov or axm.gov and look at the list of lenders if your bank doesn't participate, you give them a call and they kind of don't know what you're talking about. If you say working capital um, assistance, you know, for export, some banks just don't do it. But uh, what that enables you to do is to leverage your um, your capital position and 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 receive a line of credit through the bank. So what the SBA is doing, what XM is doing is giving the bank a 90% guarantee um, on the line of credit that they're extending you. So that makes the bank a lot more likely to extend you a line of credit because they really only have 10% skin in the game. Um, so the, this government guarantee uh, backing that they have, I mean, it, it could be from the big name banks that you know, to super regional banks, to community banks even that we have on the roster who are willing to do this for exporting clients. So the bank, it sends an application um, through to XM, or in some cases, some of the banks have been given their own pen and paper to, um, and then just notify us that they have, or SBA, that they have uh, agreed to a line of credit. So some of the banks are experienced enough to just approve it in-house. Um, just to give you a realistic timeline, it does take a month or two, you know, paperwork-wise, for them to get to know a company. Um, and a lot of times, the deposit accounts uh, for your company may be um, asked to, to be uh, housed at the same bank. Uh, but it's a great way to take your own income, leverage the bank's income, make those sales happen because it's really hard to be able to expand internationally and give 30 days, 60 days, wait to get paid from your customer before you can let another transaction happen internationally. It makes a lot more sense to, to use some of the bank's money to keep 
the transaction flow going and not have to wait for your international customers to pay you to do the next transaction. So I highly recommend uh, working capital uh, guarantee programs, um, uh, again, through the SBA XM, sometimes the bank's willing to do it without the government guarantee. Um, so that's also going to be possible. Sorry, I missed the mute mic there. Um, uh, thanks, uh, Jennifer. Um, Erica, anything to add on that subject? Uh, one of the biggest things is make sure you utilize these resources. These government resources are available for you. These are your tax dollars at work. So, you know, you take advantage of them. We've been, we've been around uh, 87 years. And, you know, Jennifer and I can both go into a room and people, who's XM Bank? And that know we've actually been around. You know, we're older than the SBA. We've been around since, you know, HUD and the SEC were started in the, in the 1930s. So it's an organization where we're here to help. And we want to make sure that every American, that every American has an opportunity to utilize these resources that are out here. Perfect. Well, look, this has been a really fascinating and tangible conversation. I really always appreciate tangibles because entrepreneurs, especially when they're tackling something as complicated as this, really need to know the specifics and the programs that can help and the ways to be thinking about this. And so I really appreciate all of that. I'd like to close our time together by asking Keith, Eric, and Jennifer for a, a parting word of advice for someone in the room who is maybe thinking about growing their business with international trade. We have talked a lot about various things that people can do. And so possibly your parting piece of advice will contain something that we've already talked about um, as, as, a, as an interesting starting point. But I suppose if you were in an elevator with somebody um, and, uh, uh, you know, they hit the 30th floor and said, Tell me how to start, how to grow my business with international trade. What might be the thing that you uh, fit into that time to share with them? Keith, I'll go to you first. Um, what piece of advice do you have? Yeah, my, my advice would be to definitely reach out to the your local STEP program as well as the US, U.S. Commercial Services and get to know them, sit down with them. They usually have like a, a six-week course to kind of fine-tune your focus on what areas uh, outside the U.S. you'd like to focus on. And I would highly suggest um, going with uh, areas where perhaps the step is not as big. For example, if you're not exporting to Canada, that's a great way. Not a lot of additional language translation needs there, uh, but a, a, a natural fit and extension and learn from that and then build from that. Going to Europe, going to Australia and but if the data looks really good to go to Japan or to go to other emerging markets, uh, then then go for it. But take a, a stepped approach uh, because the best thing that I've found is as you find the right distributors who can sell and support your product, uh, you really diversify your revenue stream and you know, you're making money when you sleep at night, which is always a good thing. And uh, you can, you know, get your product or service to, you know, reach um, more and more customers and, and help benefit our world, which is, which is a good feeling. Fantastic. Eric, I'm going to turn to you next. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, you know, it's a great opportunity to speak with the entrepreneurs today. One thing I would say, as I said, make sure you know your resources within your state. 
whether it be your SBDCs, your local, your state economic development agencies, which focus on international trade, and have a conversations. And don't be afraid to ask a question. No question is a dumb question when it comes to exporting. You know, everybody's probably wondering the same thing. So be communicate with all the representatives you can to make sure you have the correct information and all the information you can and collaborate. Perfect. And Jennifer. That's it. That's some great points that Eric had. I would say if you do talk to somebody that, you, you know, you give a call with a question and they don't have the answer, ask them who they might know that could answer it. Because believe it or not, the export community is really small. A lot of us know each other um, and a lot of us know what each other do um, so that typically we'll, we'll turn you in the right direction if we're not the right resource for you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And, um, you know, this is, I'm sure, a valuable conversation for entrepreneurs inside uh, and outside the U.S. because uh, uh, Clubhouse is global. And I imagine that we have folks from a lot of different backgrounds who have been listening to this today. Uh, so I, I'm just going to wrap up here. Again, my name is Jason Pfeiffer. I'm the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. And um, we have been really honored to partner with the Export-Import Bank of the United States on this uh, session today on Clubhouse. So thanks to our panel of experts, uh, Jennifer Krauss, Managing Director at XM, Eric Stevens, Export Finance Manager at XM, Keith Jackson, uh, VP of Channel Sales at iTech Digital Systems. And of course, though she's not here, we had Kat Cole, an advisor, investor, and uh, ex-COO and president of Focus Brands here. Uh, thanks to Adam Sokolich, who, uh, who who ran the ran the show here, and uh, Deepa, whose name you have seen up, uh, up the top. Uh, Deepa's on our team and entrepreneur and help make this happen so we appreciate everybody thanks to all if you uh if you have further questions uh well the uh the experts here have given you many many places to reach out but of course um do not forget the uh the the gigantic resource that the export import bank of the united states is and what a great resource entrepreneur magazine is how about that so thank you again everybody this has been such a fantastic tangible interesting conversation on a subject that can really be transformative for businesses. Um, I hope that everybody in the room had uh, a good time and took a lot of notes and have a great day. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Eric and Keith and Deepa. This has been fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. It was a pleasure. <laughs>